Dr. Fauci. The variables in the data suggest that you, Dr. Fauci, are in a lot of trouble uh, next year when the Republicans take over. You got a taste of that today, again, from Dr. Rand Paul, who happens to be a U.S. senator. We've been asking you, and you refuse to answer, whether anybody on the vaccine committees gets royalties from the pharmaceutical companies. I asked you last time, and what was your response? We don't have to tell you. We've demanded them through Freedom of Information Act, and what have you said? We're not going to tell you. But I tell you this, when we get in charge, we're going to change the rules, and you will have to divulge where you get your royalties from, from what companies, and if anybody on the committee has a conflict of interest, we're going to learn about it. I promise you that. Oh, boy, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle this one, Fauci? You know what he's going to do? Literally, watch him. He's going to go like this. They did it. They did it. You don't know. Total bureaucrat. Watch. You keep saying you approve. You do this. You do that. The committees that give the approval are FDA through their advisory committee. The committees that recommend are CDC through their advisory committee. You keep asking committees. They're not my committees. They're the VERPAC committee for the FDA and the ACIP for the CDC. So I don't have any idea what goes on. And they won't reveal as well as you won't reveal. Okay, we're going to we're going to move on. We're over time. You know, for two years, I didn't hear anything about any committee. I just heard Dr. Fauci had all the answers. He was wrong every step of the way. And how about that bureaucratic trick, huh? ACDC, them, uh, not me. The question was rather simple. Are you getting royalties? Are you getting cash from some of these drug companies? They had to file paperwork to get that answer and they still haven't gotten it? Oh boy. Hey, Dr. Rand Paul is outstanding. And yes, he is a doctor. He went to the United States Senate with real expertise. An ophthalmologist. Can you imagine that? He knows how to operate on eyeballs. That's just fascinating to me. I like people like him, non-career politicians in public office. And I think we're going to get a lot more of them. Of course, Donald Trump showed how it's done. But the current crop of uh, Republicans poised to take over the United States Senate, they're fantastic. Forget the fake news who wants to rattle our cage and says, oh, there's no way There's no way. And actually, forget Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, Leader McConnell. This this is no leader. This is he should be he should be enthusiastic. He should be pressing the case. He's not. What is he doing? And auditioning for MSNBC? Care to share any of your projections on the midterm elections? Yeah, I think there's probably a greater likelihood the House flips. Than the Senate. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Uh, candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. Right now, we have a 50 50 Senate in a 50 50 country. But I think when all is said and done, it's all we're going to have an extremely close Senate. Either our side up slightly or their side up slightly. Ultimately, that decision is up to the American people, and perhaps we will win, and perhaps we will lose. Get with it, Mitch. (laughs) Didn't you learn anything from Donald Trump? This is not a leader. Watch out for this guy. Bad, bad news. These candidates 
who he says to punch on their quality. They're high-quality candidates. I'd like to start with uh, the Ohio race. We've got J.D. Vance, the Republican, versus career politician Democrat Tim Ryan. J.D. Vance, here are some of the reasons why I like him. A U.S. Marine, yet he doesn't beat you over the head and shoulders about his military credentials. I like that. A venture capitalist, a best-selling author. This guy has world-class credentials. Compare those to uh, Tim Ryan, the Democrat nominee for the U.S. Senate in Ohio. He's been doing this stuff for over 20 years, making promises, raising money, foolishly running for president in 2020. Some guy named Tim Ryan. Yeah, he ran for president. J.D. Vance can do this, ignore the fake news and a lot of their phony, phony polls. But people have to get out and vote. And it wouldn't hurt to give your favorite candidate, whoever that is, some cash. I want to go to Georgia now. Herschel Walker versus Raphael Warnock, the incumbent. Well, a little bit about Herschel. Of course, we all know him. 12-year NFL player. Did you know he was on the bobsled team in 1992 and served on the President's Council on Sports and Fitness? What about Warnock? Well, a pastor and a longtime political activist and a, ooh, a PhD in philosophy. That means he really, really needs this job. PhDs in philosophy, unfortunately, don't do very well. As far as being a pastor, that's nice, but they've got plenty of those in Congress. Did you know, actually, they have two full-time pastors? The Senate has one. It's this guy. And the Congress, the House of Representatives, they have their own pastor as well. This woman, uh, I don't know what Raphael Warnock offers in terms of real-world expertise. You know, Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, who I'm not a big fan of, he goes there and uh, runs circles around members of Congress. He always seems to get exactly what he wants. I would like a guy like Herschel Walker down there to take him on. Herschel Walker, he knows football through and through. And don't forget, he's very senatorial and he loves Trump. His action speaks louder than stickers or slogans on a jersey. He keeps right on fighting to improve the lives of black Americans and all Americans. He worked night and day. He never stops. He leaves nothing on the field. Some people don't like his style, the way he knocks down obstacles that get in the way of his goals. People on the opposing team didn't like when I ran over them either. But that's how you get the job done. I pray every night that God gives him more time. Give him four more years. He has accomplished so much almost all by himself on a constant attack. But there's still more work to be done. If you love America and want to make it better, Donald Trump is your president. He's my president. And I'm blessed to call him friend. That was awesome. During the 2020 Republican National Convention, Herschel Walker, you know, on the campaign trail, he may not speak in perfect sound bites, but... He's got something to give back. I really believe that. Non-politicians ultimately make, in the end, the best politicians, ironically enough. Uh, Let's move on to Pennsylvania. It's Dr. Oz versus John Fetterman. Uh, Dr. Oz, a cardiothoracic surgeon, an MD and MBA from the University of Pennsylvania. He developed heart surgery and services. But here's my My main point about Dr. Oz, he does not need the job. He wants to do it. He wants to serve. He has enough money. He has enough status. He has all those things that so many people go into politics seeking. I think he can really work for us. Whereas Fetterman, (laughs) I think this guy is just hard up. I mean, to me, it seems like he just really, really 
needs the job. Uh, not doing very well. It looks like that medical episode he had a few months ago, it's a problem. It's a problem. Now, some of the bogus issues that have emerged in this campaign. Dr. Raz is rich. Well, I kind of knew that, didn't you? I, I, he was had that show for a long time, and he had some nice houses. Good for him. I'm not surprised. I am, however, surprised that Mr. Fetterman, career politician, has properties all over the place. Well, just like he has eight properties in, in and around Braddock, Pennsylvania. Most of them, it seems, his parents bought for them. Very strange. Very strange indeed. I like people with real skill, real accomplishment, something they have to offer all of us when they get to Washington, D.C. These guys have it. And there are real problems in Washington. You know, we're on the eve, potentially, of a major national railway strike. Yeah, this could be a, this could be really bad for all of us. The supply chain is already screwed up. What does Joe Biden have to offer when it comes to a pending railroad strike? Nothing other than anecdotes that he used to be a passenger on trains. And I know about Amtrak. I've traveled 1.2 million miles on Amtrak because I commuted every single solitary day, 270 miles a day. That's great, Joe. That's great. And did they give you a I don't know. Did they give you a prize for that? Uh, Amtrak is shutting down service all over the place because, well, it looks like there's going to be a major strike and that could that could affect Amtrak. Amtrak itself not going on strike. But what is Joe going to do about it? What is the secretary of transportation going to do about it? Pete Boot Edge Edge, South Bend mayor runs for president. Why? Why did he run for president? And why is the the secretary of transportation? This guy, 39. What is he years old? I'll tell you why. You know it. I just can't believe it. This is our country. He has these jobs because he's gay. Now, nobody cares anymore. All right. No one's shocked. Everybody knows somebody who's gay, has a cousin who's gay. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. But that's what elevated this guy to this position of power now. And we've got a real problem and they don't have a clue. So do you think these guys give a damn? about anybody's sexuality at the Department of Transportation? I don't think so. And they shouldn't care. It doesn't matter. Okay, you know what matters? Taking back the U.S. Senate. Ohio, Pennsylvania, Georgia, you can do it. You can do it. All right, coming up, what is wrong with the FBI? It's getting worse and worse. We'll be right back. The FBI, boy, have they blown it so many times. Screwing around with Monica Lewinsky's dress in the months before September 11th, and now hassling the My Pillow guy. You heard about our friend Mike Lindell. Take a look. The FBI came after me and took my phone. They surrounded me at a Hardee's and uh, took my phone that I run all my business, everything with, and they told me not to tell anybody. Here's an order not to, don't tell anybody. Okay, I won't. <laughs> well, I am. We love you, Mike. I can't believe they did this to him. Mike Lindell, household name famous, successful businessman. He has every right to investigate anything he wants, including the 2020 election. I have grave concerns about the fairness of that election. And if I had the money that he did, I might hire a couple of people to see what we could do, find things out. 
still a free country. By the way, we're going to have Alan Dershowitz on later. He's representing Mike Lindell. He's got uh, great legal counsel. You know what I think has happened here? So many people, otherwise good people, have let themselves get worked up into a frenzy by the left, by Democrats, by the media with this kind of rhetoric. A vote for Republicans is a vote to destroy democracy. The MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Uh, the, that extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy. Calling Trump and some of his supporters threats to democracy. There is no doubt that this president is a danger to our democracy and to the well-being of the American people. There's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. So if you're a regular person and you're not politically minded or whatever, and you hear this all day long in the background, you may not be consuming news, but it's out there all the time. Do you start to believe it? That's my fear. There are people out there, especially at the FBI. Some maybe don't believe it. Some know better, but some are actually falling for this nonsense. And you see a guy like the horns guy. Is this guy a threat to democracy? Really? He didn't break anything. He didn't hurt anybody. I call him a uh, what? He was like those crazy people showing up at the Kavanaugh hearing. So what? The security failures fix that. Big O? Big O with his feet on the desk? Is this really a threat to democracy? Yeah, you arrested the guy. You threw him in jail. You changed his life forever. He didn't hurt anybody. He didn't break anything. I think he took a stamp with him. But he left 50 cents to cover for the cost of the stamp. No kidding. So there are people at the FBI, though, who have let the hype just whip them up into a frenzy. But the FBI, I'm sorry, you guys, the way you're behaving, the way you've allowed yourselves again to be politicized, you're the ones who need to be investigated. And I think it's coming in a big way and not for the first time. So Martin Luther King, he had his issues. But you know what? In retrospect... I admire him more and more and more with each year that passed, the beautiful things that he said. There's a reason why the far left, they don't like Martin Luther King. They roll their eyes when we speak with admiration for his amazing words about the content being more important, content of character being more important than color of the skin. We love that. They don't. You know, the FBI tried to take this guy out in the ugliest way imaginable. Take a look. The Bureau went so far as to mail anonymous letters to Dr. King and his wife, which were mailed shortly before he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, and finishes with this suggestion. King, there is only one thing left for you to do. You know what it is. You have just 34 days in which to do it. This exact number has been selected for a specific reason. It has definite practical significance. It was 34 days before the award. You are done. So that's public testimony during the church hearings. They, they wrote the nastiest letter trying to get MLK to kill himself. All right. All these horrible things that they were going to say about him and do to him. Uh, this is what they were trying to do. This is how they, this is how they rolled the FBI. I have the letter right here. It's disgusting, and the FBI engineered it. I know it's a long time ago, but maybe uh, 
maybe dirty tricks is in the DNA of this group. Church hearings once, church hearings again. I don't know what we'll call it next time, but something has got to be done about the FBI. All right. Also this, when Joe Biden was sworn in as the 46th president of the United States, some odd things happened. And um, I've been going through them, and I think it's worthy of uh, your attention. Number one, he acknowledges a bunch of people, um, but he doesn't acknowledge some. Listen. Chief Justice Roberts, Vice President Harris, Speaker Pelosi, Leader Schumer, Leader McConnell, Vice President Pence, my uh, distinguished guests, my fellow Americans. This is America's day. I know the resilience of our Constitution and the strength, the strength of our nation, as does President Carter, who I spoke with last night, who cannot be with us today, but whom we salute for his lifetime in service. Special shout out to former President Carter. Former President Obama is sitting about 15 feet away and goes unacknowledged throughout the entire ceremony. Now, why would that be? Is it possible that Joe Biden is getting a little bit uncomfortable about the situation uh, as it stands, that Barack Obama will potentially be calling a lot of the shots that a president, a sitting president, should be calling? Look, Obama bragged about it himself. I think this is fascinating. Watch his eyes, his manner. This doesn't get old, in my opinion. If I could make an arrangement where... Um, I had a, I had a, a stand-in, a front man or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats mm-hmm. looking through the stuff, and then I could sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was uh, doing all the talking and ceremony. Wow. I, I'd be fine with that. All right. There's something very strange. He's boasting. He's bragging. Look at his eyes. November 27th, 2020, after the election. And when he shows up at the Oval Office, like he did last week, who's in charge? Somehow it seems like Barack Obama. All right. And we, he's in the middle of this picture. This was taken last week. The president of the United States, the acting president, the real president. You see what's going on here? It's very strange. All right, back to the inaugural for a moment. You know, we've all know, we all know that he has not lived up to unifying the country. He promised to do so on, on Inauguration Day. But I think we may have been misreading his promise, okay? It sounds like he wants to unify the country. Granted, he does. And we know he's failed, obviously. In another January... On New Year's Day in 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. When he put pen to paper, the president said, and I quote, if my name ever goes down into history, it'll be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. My whole soul is in it. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. And I ask every American to join me in this cause. 
Well, he's done nothing to do that, right? However, now I think I understand what he really meant by that. Wasn't talking about uniting us, like, stop yelling at each other. Uniting us as in one party. An authoritarian type of place where unity is everybody, everybody in one direction. Listen to this. With unity, we can do great things, important things. We can right wrongs. We can put people to work in good jobs. We can teach our children in safe schools. We can overcome the deadly virus. We can reward, reward work and rebuild the middle class and make health care secure for all. We can deliver racial justice. He's, some of what he's saying to me sounds a little bit like socialism. And we know how socialists feel about unity, what kind of unity they like. He goes on. We can make America once again the leading force for good in the world. I know speaking of unity can sound to some like a foolish fantasy these days. I know the forces that divide us are deep and they are real. But I also know they are not new. Our history has been a constant struggle between the American ideal that we're all are created equal and the harsh, ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. The battle is perennial and victory is never assured. Through civil war, the Great Depression, World War, 9-11, through struggle, sacrifice, and setbacks, our better angels have always prevailed. In each of these moments, enough of us, enough of us have come together to carry all of us forward. And we can do that now. History, faith, and reason show the way, the way of unity. History, faith, and reason show the way of unity. The way he's talking about unity, if I disagree with Joe Biden about policy, about his manner, about everything, somehow I am against those things? I am a force of darkness somehow? No, we just don't agree with your policy agenda. There's something strange here. I think I'm figuring it out right now. Unity for him is like the unity they used to have in the Soviet Union, one party working for one system, uh, the system that they have in North Korea right now, right now, or also more familiar to Joe Biden, the system they have in China. Hmm? Joe is very familiar with China because obviously we know he's blowing off, bringing us together, you know, having a collegial society. He doesn't care about that. This, I believe, I fear is the type of unity he wants. He ain't gonna get it. All right, we'll be right back. Joe Biden did visit an electric car factory and boy, oh boy, he had a lot of fun. Look at him, he's a little bit lost, a little bit, uh, well, he's just Joe. Be right back. All I I can can say is is that The The fake fake news just doesn't get it, do they? They're so gentle with Joe Biden, so protective of him. 
when it's so easy to, uh, well, let him have it. And he deserves it, but they don't, so I do. Joe Biden went to a car factory, I guess, in Michigan, and it was, uh, you know, environmentally clean cars, electric cars. Think about all the stuff that he, all the gas-guzzling aircraft and vehicles he had to use to get there. The helicopter, Air Force One. Hey, I'm not saying that president shouldn't have a jet, shouldn't have a helicopter, but I think they should go somewhere to be useful, all right? Not to grab a microphone and just, you know, riff for a while about Pops and uh, Delaware and uh, wouldn't it be great to have an electric car? We don't know about that yet. And then Joe gets a tour of the company. And I'm sorry, he looked like he was four years old. Watch. You know what I mean? Our tax dollars paid for this little field trip. The kind of field trip we used to go on when we were in the third grade. He had that demeanor. I don't know what the heck was accomplished. We have to start rethinking these useless presidential trips and beyond useless when it comes to the vice president. All right. Now we have to go to the Pentagon. My beloved Pentagon, my military. I spent nine years on active duty. It has gone totally crazy. Woke. All this nonsense that they're consumed with, not the war fighting, it's all LGBT, DEI, trans this, whatever, fighting extremism in the ranks when there is no extremism, although actually there just might be. Uh, This individual, number one, everybody in the military, they don't talk about marksmanship or, you know, firing the missiles correctly. They talk about this, DEI, diversity equity and inclusion. There's so many, only so many hours in the day and so much of their day is taken up by this nonsense. And one of the chief drivers of the agenda is this individual, Kalissa Wing, chief diversity, equity and inclusion officer in the Pentagon's education activity office. Now, almost every corporation has a DEI person and you may be familiar already. It's all weird and woke and very, very unproductive. This one seems to be full of all kinds of hate. Before she got the job, she was tweeting horrible things about, well, white people that she didn't like at work. Uh, I'm so exhausted at these white folks in these PD sessions. This lady actually had the caudacity, get it, Caucasian audacity combined, to say that black people can be racist too. They can. I had to stop the session and give Karen, a nasty racist name for white women that she finds bossy, I guess, the business. We are not the majority. We don't have power, blah, 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 blah. Uh, she was hired by the Biden administration. They know they knew full well what they were getting. Uh, here are some of her books. This, this did not, you know, they, knew, they know, knew all this during vetting. What is white privilege? Uh, What does it mean to defund the police? How to defund the police? Um, I can't lay all the blame on her, though. I mean, this is what they were looking for. This is why they hired her. I mean, her ultimate boss, one of them, is Chairman Milley, General Milley. Remember this? This is he apologized for this. He apologized for walking across the street with the president of the United States. A general, a four-star general, the top general, talks like this. I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. 
So, Kalissa and Millie, they should probably have lunch together in the Pentagon cafeteria. I mean, General Milley uh, seems to think that the Black Lives Matter riots were uh, not riots. We should be thankful that they were peaceful. In fact, he said just as much. All kinds of crazy political statements from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I am outraged by the senseless and brutal killing of George Floyd. What we are seeing is the long shadow of our original sin in Jamestown 401 years ago. We are still struggling with racism, and we have much work to do. Unspoken and unconscious bias have no place in America, and they have no place in our armed forces. And we should all be proud that the vast majority of protests have been peaceful. We must ensure fairness and equity at all key gateway selection boards, including promotion, command, and work Be inclusive. Make a commitment to seek out and surround yourself with those who don't look like you. Right. So here's an idea. General Milley and Kalissa should both leave the Pentagon. They can form their own think tank and hang out together. And Milley can w- learn about white rage and they can uh, do the work, uh, anti-racism and all that stuff and leave the war fighting to professional war fighters. OK, sound good? I think so. Hey, we'll be back in a moment with Alan Dershowitz. He's representing Mike Lindell in this fiasco with the FBI. So crime is uh, really bad everywhere. Uh, And one of the worst places is this city, New York City. If you're thinking about coming here to take in a show, uh, don't, quite frankly. Pains me to say that. I love this town. I love Broadway, actually. Well, find it kind of boring, but it's really important to the community and the people who work there. But I can't in good conscience uh, suggest that anybody visit New York right now. Uh, I'm very worried about my own family here in New York. And one of the reasons is we've got the worst mayor ever, even worse than de Blasio. He's so taken with himself as well. He knows nothing. He has no skills whatsoever. Other than wearing a nice suit and appearing to be very well-groomed and handsome, he knows nothing. He has an army of police. And what's he doing about the crime problem? Listen. Gun companies took a dangerous product and market it to the masses. They use aggressive marketing to reach new consumers, including those who have no business carrying a gun. Irresponsible people, underage people, criminals, those who are abusers, the goal was to put guns in the hand as many people as possible. All right. He's waging one of these kind of never-ending fights with the NRA and the gun industry. The marketing, the marketing of guns. Have you ever seen a gun commercial from Colt or anybody? Have you ever seen a gun commercial? These guys are not getting their guns through legal means. By the way, there are so many guns. You can, it's not the guns, it's the criminal. I know they say that's so too simplistic. No, it's not. This guy's simplistic. You want to talk about the marketers of guns and gun violence? Talk to your Democrat friends. He's trying to make all kinds of them. Talk to Alec Baldwin. Show me a movie where he wasn't using a gun. 
Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah, I forgot about the other movie. We'll talk about that some other time, maybe. How about Matt Damon? Well-known liberal, always whipping out a gun. Uh, a gun seems to take care of all script problems. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, another lefty. Angelina Jolie, uh, Matthew McConaughey. If there's marketing of guns, it's coming from Hollywood. Here's another problem we have with this Eric Adams. Instead of waging these ridiculous campaigns, they're not really fights. It's just an excuse for him to get on television. Uh, he's not doing what he really could do. He recently got rid of the undercover unit that would go get guns. So what can he do right now to fix the problem? He was asked that shortly after he became mayor. Listen to his Kamala-esque answer. What concrete steps are you taking to keep your promise and make New York City safer? And, and you know, it's important what you just laid out uh, three weeks into our administration, uh, analyzing all of the tools and resources that we have. Um, I'm going to roll out a real plan this week when I speak to the New York public. Uh, and we're going to go after the underlying reasons you are seeing crime in our city. Uh, this is a sea of crime that's being fed by many rivers. And we have to dam each one of those Underlying rivers. reasons. Root causes, right? Remember? Oh, we've got to study it and analyze it and analyze it. No, what you got to do is let undercover cops go undercover. Right after this guy became mayor, he insisted that the most effective anti-crime unit, which was undercover at one point, wear badges, wear great big patches that identify them as police officers. The whole thing that made anti-crime effective was the undercover aspect the guy is not smart, and we've got a big problem here in New York. All right. Hey, uh, some news regarding uh, the Durham report. Not really a, much of a report, but we always knew that Comey was no good, and this is further confirmation. Um, Comey knew the dossier was bogus, the Steele dossier. Turns out that one of the key providers of that bogus information later got paid by the FBI more on that in a moment, but he knew that the dossier was so screwed up, yet he brought it to President-elect Trump anyway. I spoke about prostitutes in Moscow. I didn't go into the rest of that. I was uncomfortable enough. Were you nervous going into that meeting? Yes. Yeah, I was. I was about to meet with a new president and talk about prostitutes in Moscow. Yeah. And, and so it was a bit of an out-of-body experience for me, honestly. <laughs> Us and, too. Uh, yeah. And so I didn't go into the, that other detail. I figured that that was notice enough. And he reacted, as I recount in the book, very defensively and interrupted me and said, do I look like a guy who needs the services of prostitutes? As I say in the book, I assume that was a rhetorical question. And so <laughs> I didn't, I didn't did, answer. Did you, just for the record, did you answer that? No, I assumed it was rhetorical. You just let it go. Yeah. And so then Good he went call. on and was defensive. And I explained that I wasn't saying we believe this. I just explained that we felt duty-bound to alert him to this. Duty-bound. Duty-bound. That was a corrupt act. He knew it was bogus. You know, they're all laughing. The president was defensive. The horrible, ugly, false things he brought to the president's attention that he felt duty-bound, even though they knew this was all a trap, all a trap. And the information in the Steele dossier, so much of it came from a guy named uh, Igor Danshenko. 
And we now know that he was later paid by the FBI, paid by the FBI, an FBI informant. And this was even after the Steele dossier had been submitted. This is really, really dirty stuff. The FBI, we have got to have more than hearings, a commission, a total revamping, something, something. Let's hope for success in November. House and Senate. Be right back. Wow, the FBI, huh? What is wrong with these people? I'm sorry, FBI, does it stand for Friends of Biden Incorporated? You heard what they did to the MyPillow guy, one of our favorites, Mike Lindell. You heard the FBI took his phone, seized his phone. They cornered him outside of a Hardee's restaurant, home of the curly fries. Take a look. The FBI came after me and took my phone. They surrounded me at a Hardee's and uh, took my phone that I run all my business, everything with. And they told me not to tell anybody. Here's an order not to, don't tell anybody. Okay, I won't. <laughs> well, I am. Incredible, incredible. I love that he's showing us and he's speaking out. Now, fortunately, he has very, very excellent legal representation, no better. Alan Dershowitz, professor emeritus at Harvard Law School, has been working with Mike Lindell for some time. By the way, he has yet another book, prolific author, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. Professor Dershowitz, welcome back. How are you and how is Mike? Well, Mike is clearly being looked at by the FBI. It's part of a long process where this administration has gone after its its enemies. And um, look, I don't agree with Mike Lindell's philosophy. I don't agree that the election was stolen. I think Biden won the election, but I don't pick my clients based on whether I agree or not. I, I pick my clients based on whether they are victims of improper prosecutorial action and whether they are victims of unconstitutional action. And I think that uh, there is a, a very strong possibility that Lindell is being targeted because of his political views and because of his advocacy for positions that I don't necessarily support. But I'm going to defend him. I'm going to defend the First Amendment. I'm going to defend due process. I'm going to defend the Constitution. You know, it's interesting. Today, one of my oldest friends wrote to me and said, you're putting process ahead of substance. And I wrote back and I said, yes. Uh, Felix Frankfurt once said, the history of liberty is the history of process, due process, equal process, constitutional process, fair process. And so we have to, every citizen, liberal or conservative, has to be concerned if somebody is being targeted because of their political views. I love that you're involved. You know, it's a free country. You're allowed to uh, question the results of an election. And if you have means, you can hire people to investigate it for the FBI to be doing what they're doing. And I'm looking at their uh, their documents. You've seen them, I know. You know, when you take somebody's phone, um, you're basically taking a big piece of their brain. I mean, everything is in here. People spend more time on the phone than off the phone. Are they limited in any way? How do we control? How do you control? Will the FBI go through everything in his life? Are they forced to be very selective? How do they do it? If the framers of the Constitution had heard about cell phones, they would have said this is a general search, the kind of search that we fought the revolution to stop the British from conducting. 
You cannot conduct general searches, broad searches of people's houses, of people's medicine cabinets. You have to specify with particularity what it is you're looking for. And seizing phones is a very, very dangerous expansion of what the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution permits. It's the opposite of specificity. And every civil libertarian would be up in arms if this were a liberal Democrat. But because it's a supporter of Donald Trump, the Constitution be damned, and the liberal hypocrites, my friends, my colleagues, my former colleagues at Harvard Law School and Yale Law School, and you name it, they are simply making decisions based on who is involved, not when principles are involved. That's why I wrote my book, The Price of Principle. I'm paying a heavy price. Lindell is paying a heavy price. Anybody who disagrees with the principles of this administration is paying a heavy price for their support of their own principles. And it sends a very chilling message. If you're thinking about disagreeing, keep your thoughts to yourself because that's an effect here. So look, your smart friends are turning against you. They, uh, the smart people who should know better, the media doesn't seem to care. What are we going to do? Where does this end? They just subpoenaed, what, dozens of people associated with Trump looking at their phones. You're handling Lindell, but, like, you know, universally, what's going to happen? How does this play out? The FBI, no one's resigning. I hear about a couple of whistleblowers here and there, but they're, what do we do, uh, Professor? Well, and lawyers are being very reluctant to represent these people because, uh, as several lawyers told me, we don't want to be Dershowitz. We don't want to lose our friends, our clients, our associates, our, uh, our other uh, people who we know, because we saw what happened to you when you defended the Constitution on behalf of Donald Trump and made a scholarly speech in front of the United States Senate. Uh, I, I don't mind that people stop talking to me. I have uh, enough real friends. But the library banned me. The library banned my books. Various institutions, synagogues have banned me. Um, it, it's McCarthyism. It's left-wing McCarthyism. And it's more dangerous than right-wing McCarthyism was. Why? Because right-wing McCarthyism was the past. It was old right. people. It wasn't yep. the teachers in universities who were training our future leaders. That's why the current McCarthyism is more dangerous. Professor... I'm so glad you're involved in this fight. It makes me sick. It, heart, it breaks my heart, but you give me hope. And let's uh, continue this conversation. Let us know what we can do. And we can buy your book, huh? Let's uh, put that book up, please. We will buy your book. In fact, I just downloaded it right now. Thank you. We'll be right back. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll see you tomorrow.